Tonight at 6.30 at the Citadel in Summerall Chapel, we're going to have a special presentation by our choir, orchestra, praise band, as we begin to concentrate on Easter. Can good drive, so that's in the bulletin. 6.30 tonight will be a great, great joy to be there. Let's, uh, yes, thank you. Here, just give me that. Let's, let's pray, please. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today. That's our prayer, Lord. And we do proclaim as your people bought by the work of the cross, the shed blood of the Savior, that the deep, deep love of Jesus is our foundation. We come to you, Lord Christ, because you're the only foundation. We run to you, Lord Christ, because you're the only refuge. We, we glory in you, Lord Christ, because you said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we want that progressively. And we pray now that you take the word and make application in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we uh, are going to deal this morning with the issue of spiritual leadership. And it's very important for all of us, every one of us who claim to be Jesus' followers, to understand that we have a keen responsibility for the next generation. For those who are coming and who are yet to come, let me give you some statistics just in our church here. For example, uh, we have on Sunday morning anywhere from 425 to 470 birth through fifth grade children on here. That, that's an incredible heritage. We had last weekend a retreat for our middle schoolers. If you're old like me, you call it junior high, but if you're young and trendy, they're middle schoolers now, Okay. I guess that's because there's no JV or junior, it's middle, okay. That's sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. We had 55 or so young women and 55 or so young men, just middle schoolers on a retreat. We'll have today about 170 high schoolers in Bible study. We have campus outreach, our ministry, one of our college ministries here that we are very involved in. 220 went on their recent retreat. These are numbers that are just, I go, man, God, give us a vision for the future. We have a school here that we, is our school, Palmetto Christian Academy. From K through 12, we have about 445 students. It's amazing. It's an incredible legacy that we've been given. And the question is, are we going to live with vitality and integrity out of the Word of God to the glory of the triune Lord? And, and, and so we come to a passage this morning in First Thessalonians that deals with this issue. And Paul is combating a whispering campaign that says that he's only after your money or you may be involved in some type of immorality and some type of weird worship, or he's, he's just covering up a mask with flattery and greed. And Paul says that is not the case. He says, you're witnesses and so is God of how we lived among you. It was only in Thessalonica a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, and then he had to leave because his life was being threatened. 
but he loved this church. He's just heard a good report about this church. And he's writing back to this church. And maybe his first letter. But he talks about the absolute importance of spiritual leadership. And he starts off in the second part of verse 6. That's where we'll pick it up. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you. He says, you know, as apostles, we could have said, man, here we are. He says, you know, apostles were a very small select group. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. The apostles were directly commissioned by Christ to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What they wrote or spoke when they wrote as apostles was inherently true. And some would say the four sign of apostles, they were workers of miracles. But they were a select band of people. Fifteen to sixteen apostles. Paul was the last one, we think. He says, I, I, I'm an apostle directly commissioned by the resurrected Christ whom I saw thrust out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are on the A-team. He says, we could have been a burden to you. We could have stood on our apostolic credentials and browbeat you. He says, but, but, we were gentle among you. Like a mother who is tenderly caring for or tenderly nursing her little child. And Calvin says about this passage, there, there's, there's nothing about a mother that is nursing her child that is demanding. It's all, it's all giving. And I'm going to say this morning that, that the, this passage has incredible balance in spiritual leadership. He says, we were gentle like a mother and we exhorted you like a father. You've got to have both. You've got to have gentleness and you've got to have exhortation. See, gentleness is an incredibly important concept in the Scripture. We were gentle among you like a, a mother who tenderly nurses her own children. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, discussing elders, it says, verse 2, an elder must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not violent, not willful, but gentle, approachable. In Titus, when Paul is talking about how to relate to outsiders, in Titus 2 or 3 verse 2, he says, teach the people to slander no one, to be peaceable and to be gentle or considerate. And to show true humility toward all men. Be, be gentle. He says, in the marketplace, be gentle. And then when James is talking about the wisdom that comes from above, in James 3, 17, he says, the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure and peace-loving and gentle. If, if we're to lead people and care for people as in, in the home, in community groups, in the church, in discipleship groups, we've got to be gentle, approachable people. We've got to care for people. And then in Galatians, Paul says this about, it says, if a brother is trapped in sin, you who are spiritual, go and restore him gently. Go and do it gently. Go to him and say, brother, there's sin in your life. I see it. 
be gentle. And then he says this, but watch yourselves or you too may be tempted. And there's the key. You know, People who go to restore gently know their own hearts. I've had this thought. And I, it's kind of a weird thought, but I've had it. And, uh, sometimes I've, I've looked at our, our staff, our pastoral staff, our elders and our deacons, and I've had this thought as I've prayed over these men with Galatians 6 in mind. I said, Lord, it would be a privilege to be admonished by these men if I were trapped in sin because they're godly men. They know their hearts. They know that apart from the grace of God, they're undone. They've, they watch themselves. You see, people who know their hearts are, are, are gentle because they say it's just by the grace of God. I haven't gone there. It's just by the grace of God. And so we're gentle. We don't compromise Scripture, but we're gentle. And he says this, we, 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 we love you so much. We were, we were delighted. I love that. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very souls, our very selves, our own lives. We, we, we were delighted to share with you the gospel and our very selves. And I was just a thought about this. My, my thought was this. We must fight for community. We've got to fight for friendship. In our busyness and our push and our pull and the, 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 the culture that just goes with platitudes or anger, we have to fight for true community. There's a book that was published in 2000 by a guy from Harvard named um, Robert Putnam, professor of sociology, entitled Bowling Alone. And he had done an exhaustive study of hundreds of thousands of surveys over America from 1975 to the year 2000. And his thesis is the book. He says people are, there are more people bowling today, but they're bowling alone. They're no longer in bowling leagues where they wear these really tacky shirts with their names emblazoned on the top, you know. They're bowling alone. And then he gives some statistics. He says, you know, from 75 to 2000, how, what has been the drop in the number of Americans attending club meetings of some sort in 25 years? The drop was 58%. It says this reflects a lack of a communitarian spirit. In the next survey, how many, what's been the drop of families having dinner together at least three times a week? By the way, parents, guard that dinner hour. Guard the dinner hour. It's a precious, well, excuse me, it can be a precious time <laughs> to just eat together and say, say three, tell me three things about your day. You don't have to be original. I do the same thing every night. Three things about your day. You start. And in the end, you, you just pray together. You read scripture and you read a little devotion and pray. It, it can be a precious time. Guard the dinner hour. So what, what's the percentage of drop in the dinner hour? 43% drop. Amazing. How many have friends over periodically just to hang out? What's been the drop there? 35%. And he says we're bowling alone. And it, it is a book that laments, it, it laments, the lack of community in America. And Paul says here, you know, we, 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 we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. C.S. Lewis wrote this to a friend named Arthur Greaves. He said, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. If I had to give a piece of advice to a young man, 
about a place to live, I think I should say sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. I know I am very fortunate in that respect. And I think that's an overstatement, but I think it's, it's in the ballpark. It's a great joy. And I just think the church should be a friendship factory because we meet at a common place called the cross. We have a common bond called the Holy Spirit, a common point of worship, which is the reality of Jesus. It's interesting that there's this book by this psychiatrist about Freud versus Lewis, and he talks about he says he talks about the incredible change that Lewis's friends wrote about in the life of C.S. Lewis. And he says, as as a psychiatrist, I looked at his life and said, why was there an incredible change from a kind, kind of a guy that was an introvert to someone who was described as, as a man who had a boyish delight in all of life? He says, why the change? And he says, after his translation or transition, we'd say after he was born again by the Holy Spirit, but, you know, okay. After his transition, he says three things happened as I observed Lewis's life. He says, number one, Lewis began to read the Old and New Testaments very seriously. He used a new method of establishing his identity, or noted a new method of establishing his identity, of coming to terms with his real person. This process, Lewis writes, involves losing yourself in your relationship with the Creator. He says, unless you've given yourself up to Him, to Christ, you will never have a real self. In particular, Lewis was struck by the New Testament admonition from Christ, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He had a new identity in Christ. He read the Bible seriously. That's interesting. Number two, he, was, he understood love in a new way. He understood love for one's neighbor by wanting the best for him and exercising one's will to act accordingly. This took Lewis outside of himself. You hear that? He didn't sit around thinking about himself. He started thinking about other people. He developed a capacity to step out of his own needs sufficiently to become aware of the needs of others. And thirdly, Lewis's worldview changed. His valuation of people changed. Death no longer marked the end of his life, but only the end of the first chapter and a book that went on without end. Therefore, every human being he now believed would live forever and they were worthy of respect and Christian love. See, those things lead to gentleness. A, a God-intoxicated view of living. So fight for friendships. Fight for them. I ask our men frequently, who are your two o'clock in the morning Waffle House friends? And Waffle House never closes. So your world falls apart at 1.30. Who do you call and say, I'm going to meet you at Waffle House in 30 minutes? Who do you call? So in this study Putnam did, he had a social capital index. He asked people all over the continental U.S. He didn't go to Alaska and Hawaii. Numerous questions about community and involvement. And he, then he ranked the states according to social capital index. The most community-oriented state in the nation was North Dakota. I, I found it hard to believe because that means you have to go outside. You know, in North Dakota, you don't go anywhere seven months, eight months, ten months out of the year. Number two was South Dakota. 
three, Vermont, which really isn't part of our nation anyway. <laughs> Number four is Montana, or excuse me, Minnesota. We, South Carolinians, were number 42. Even West Virginia beat us. Our state motto is, thank God for West Virginia, Alabama, and Louisiana. But anyway, even, even West Virginia beat us. Number 48, the most anti-communitarian state in the nation is Nevada. So some of you may want to move there after the sermon. I don't know, but so that's me, baby. I'm Nevada. Here I come. Now think about it. Who, who are your friends? Paul says, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you. Only the gospel, but our very selves. We were gentle among you. See, gentleness. Sharing. And then secondly, he says this. He says, he says, in verse 10, he says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. Now, I, I just thought about that, that leaders must be pace setters. Leaders must be pace-hitters. Holy means devoted to God. Righteous means there's a correct living in our lives. And blameless means that there's not a sin that is predominant in my life that can be taken hold of. And we all struggle with issues. Nobody here is perfect. But he says, that there, there's, he said, you know, you can never say, well, he's a good guy, but he gets drunk every week. Or, 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 or she's a very nice lady, but she just loses her temper and curses out the kids in the neighborhood about once every other day you you can't say that there's nothing that's an ongoing recurring issue you're you're you're, that can be taken hold of a spiritual leader never says a spiritual mom or spiritual dad spiritual never says don't do as i i do but you do as i say we can never say that we need to say with the apostle paul in first corinthians 11 1 you follow me as i follow jesus christ he says, that, that, that's the way we live. He says, I, I was a pacer. And then he says this about being a father. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, cheering or comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. Fathers. Not generic only, but as a, the father's attitude. He said, as a father, we, we dealt with each of you encouraging, comforting, and urging. And there are different words or different concepts. To encourage means to call alongside. To, to come alongside. To, to go with me. Is to have a, I, I think in Scripture, a God-saturated worldview. For example, one of my favorite encouraged verses is, is Hebrews 3. Verse 6 and following, the writer of Hebrews says, Remember the children of Israel who, because of their exodus sins, did not go into the promised land because they didn't believe God. So they wandered for 40 years. So remember that. So don't, don't harden your hearts as they did, church. Do not harden your hearts. And he says this, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily 
as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, he says, first of all, you know, realize this. Sin is deceitful. It looks good, but it never delivers what it promises. Remind each other of that. But come alongside each other and, and encourage each other to remember the faithfulness of God, to remember that, that we battle against forces of darkness, to, to be very careful, to not let your heart get hardened. Encourage one another. Now, another encouraged verse is in the same book, book of Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says this, And let us not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. Well, let me start first. Let us consider how to stir one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, he says, let us consider how to stir up each other to love and good works. Now, a lot of times we'll read this verse and say, don't miss being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, which is a good application. But, but I think the primary focus of this passage is to, to intentionally think about how can I stir up my brothers and sisters, my friends, to go hard for Jesus, to pursue Christ? So, so I, I came away, as you think about encouragement, sometimes you're with people and they'll say, you know, I really appreciate you, you're a good, good guy, and uh, you're always caring. And you, you say, well, I'm always encouraged when I'm with them. That's not the word to use, biblically. Because encouragement, I believe, means to, to intentionally try to help someone develop a a god-saturated jesus-oriented worldview are you with me how can i encourage just well, i've been reading this verse this week i've been meditating on this verse this week i'm reading this book I, and this is what god is man i, I wow this wow see that's that's biblical encouragement you stir one another up now the next word is just cheering people on but there's a difference and I would say to you this, we need to encourage each other in the Lord, i.e. to develop a worldview that is saturated with the greatness of God. When we come together, periodically as friends, and it should not all be March Madness, and can you believe Manning is going to play for the Broncos? Can you believe, I'll, that's kind of my world, that's where I live. But it should involve stirring. And then he says this, encouraging and then he says comforting or cheering which means to cheer along i love this it means just to cheer along to, to be to, to just love example three four weeks ago a dear lady in this church who's pretty blessed my life and her son was visiting just boom just chance just a five-second thing. Her son was visiting, brought him to church. He's a big guy and 45-ish. And so after church, I was greeting people in the hall and came up to she and her son standing there, and I shook his hand and said, how are you doing? Good to see you. And, and she stood beside him and put her arm through his arm and said, she said, she said, Buster, this is my son. And she smiled. And then she dropped his arm, stepped over, and she says, and this is my pastor. 
Five seconds. Probably went. <laughs> wow. Or, or there's a lady who'll be in the services today who sends many of us birthday letters and anniversary letters. Many of us. And I said, how do you do it? And she took, she's got this system, very ingenious, 12 tabs, 12 monthly calendars, birthdays of, I think, hundreds of people. And she just sends a card out three days before the due date of the birthday. It's amazing how that works. But she does it. I mean, it's, it's, I bet every week the U.S. postman has to get a back brace to pick up the things that she sends out. It's amazing. She has the ministry of cheering people on. You should too. Do you cheer people? Do you bless them? I, I think this, this is one of my favorite prayers. It's in Isaiah. The sovereign Lord has given me the tongue of the instructed or the tongue of the learned, one version says. To know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me. He awakens me morning by morning to listen like one being taught. I, if we get up every morning and get on our knees and say, God, and pray to Isaiah 50 verse 4. Say, Lord, let, let me cheer people today. Let me speak a word to somebody that just needs to hear a good word. Use me, Lord. The, the tongue of the instructed. And then the last one is this. It says, Father, we urged you, which means we, we, we pled with you. We, we passionately interceded. We, we, we pleased. It says, we, we urged you to live lives, worthy, live lives worthy of God who calls you. He's called you to himself. He calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. We urge you. We, we plead with you because the path of obedience is the path of life. You get on this path, there's light, there's joy, there's purpose. This path leads to destruction. And, and many, many find that. We, we urge you. We, we plead with you. I think, listen to this. We have to be very careful about the urge index, the urgency index. See, if, if, if everything on this, and if everything is urgent, then nothing will ever be urgent. Does that make sense? Conversely, if nothing is urgent, then nothing is urgent. Then one thing that we need to pray is that our passions will match the urgency of that we we're addressing. Example. Let's say you have some friends that drink eight or ten Mountain Dews a day. Now, that's not good for you if you do that. You might as well just drink two pounds of sugar and it's just, it's just not good for you. And, uh, but on a scale of one to ten, if, if, I, if I'm your buddy and you're drinking ten a day, I say, hey, that's a 1.3. That's your business. Hope you like your dentist. That's your business, you know. Or let's say you're a supersize me type of person. And you go to McDonald's three times a day and you supersize me three times a day. And, you know, that, that's a 3.4 for me. I mean, because your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to be 
representatives of Christ in, in, in a number of ways. But I, that's it. Or how about, how about Southern Sudan? George Clooney has been speaking out for the people of Southern Sudan. I've been to Southern Sudan. I've been with the Dinka people. And they have, for decades now, been raped and pillaged and sold into slavery by the people in the north. And it's a horrible existence. It's a, really, it's a Stone Age culture. It's a horrific thing. It's just terrible. And I, I mean, and I really admire George Clooney for speaking out. For me, that's a seven. 7.5, that's pretty high. I feel passionately about that. I wrote George a letter this week. I said, dear George, <laughs> thank you for speaking out for the people of Southern Sudan and using your platform and your notoriety to call attention to the plight of these people who have been brutalized for decades. So I've been there. I've seen it. I know it. Thank you. May the Lord bless you richly. Blessings in Christ. See Buster Brown, senior pastor. P.S. Oh, brother, where art thou? was one of my top favorite movies. <laughs> and it is. I love that movie. I think it's great. But anyway, so, so that, that's, but let me, let me tell you something. You know what a 10 is for me? That you live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. I want my children to succeed. But the 10 for me in the life of my kids is that they would live lives worthy of God who calls them into his kingdom and his glory. I love your children. And I want them to all go to Ivy League schools and get huge patents and tithe to this church. And that's important. But you know what a 10 is? Is that they would live lives worthy of God who calls you in his kingdom and his glory. Yeah. So I, I want my urgency index to reflect these things. So that's what Paul says in Galatians 4.19 to a church that's causing him incredible headache. He says, Oh, my dear, my, my children, I, I'm once again in the pains of childbirth, bracket, without an epidural in the bracket, till Christ is formed in you. The pains of childbirth, it's difficult. It hurts. But it's worth it. So spiritual leadership, some takeaway thoughts. Instead of calling attention to ourselves, we're gentle. It's not... Do you know who you're talking to? I'm an apostle or I'm whatever. I'm a community leader. I'm, no, we're just gentle. As, as leaders, we, we want to share our very selves as we fight for community. So we have community groups in this church. We get together with 8 to 12 other people on a periodic basis, literally week by week. And you just get to know each other and you pray for each other and you talk about the things of God. Every person here needs that. You do. God has made you for community. He is Trinitarian. There was never a time when God was not in holy relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has made us in his image. He's made us for community. Thirdly, we, we, we need to be pace setters as spiritual leaders. Dads, moms, leaders, holy, righteous, blameless. Fourthly, we need to pray for the tongue of the learned. To, to, 
to sustain the weary one with the word. And fifthly, we, we've got to always guard our urgency index. Are you with me? Listen, parents of young children, not making the bed is not on the same level as being grossly disobedient. Pick your battles. I'm saying, pick your battles. If every battle is a hill to die on, people discount us. Work on your urgency index. And, and, and God forgive me that the eternal welfare of my loved ones in reality registers a two, whereas if the Tar Heels be Kansas, registers a nine. That's sin. That's sin. They will, but that's just sin, okay? All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for this glorious worship that, that we have experienced here, that we've experienced in the gym and at our North Campus. Thank you for the privilege of singing praise to you and reading Scripture. Thank you for the Word of God that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, I pray to make us spiritual leaders. Uh, I pray that we would not stand on our age or our authority or our profession or our income, but that we would just be gentle with people like a mother who is tenderly nursing her child. Make us gentle people. Or some of us are, are seemingly came out of the womb gentle. Some of us, Lord, are in process. But make us all more gentle, more approachable, more teachable. Lord, I pray that we'd be like fathers, that we'd be pace-setters, and that we would be men and women who know when to encourage and how to encourage, know when to just cheer on, and know when to speak with urgency. Urgency. I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, that this, this congregation that will worship several times today in two places. I, I pray that this congregation would live lives worthy of God who has called them into his kingdom and his glory. You've called us, Lord. May we reflect that. I pray that the worship music presentation tonight will be filled with the glory and the goodness of God. And you'd heighten our anticipation of what you would do by your spirit in our lives as we approach the Easter season in Jesus' name. Amen.